Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and you're welcome along. So the Guinness Six Nations is upon us once again. 2021 marks the second year in charge for Andy Farrell. England are defending champions and as always, there will be twists and turns ahead over the coming weeks. Now to preview, we've got a great lineup. Later on, we'll hear from Stuart Barnes, Stephen Jones, Peter O'Reilly, all from the Sunday Times. Here in the studio, Alan Quinlan and Ian McKinley are alongside me. And from La Rochelle, should technology allow, Ronan O'Gara joins us as well. Ronan, evening to you. Joe, how are you? My, my boys, good to see you. Good to see you. You're looking very sharp there. Is that just how you dress around the house? It is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still quite new to me, this concept of the getting dressed up for Zoom, but thankfully we're not showing the lower half today. <laughs> well, that's a lovely image for everyone at home. Our thanks to you for that. Uh, Alan Quinlan, it's great to have uh, Rona with us, obviously, via technology. Great to have you as well. In studio, you'll be at the games across the next number of weeks. That was a long January. This is nice to have the Six Nations here. Yeah, it is, um, particularly with you know the cancellation of a couple of European games as well. So it's it's something to look forward to. I think um, I always think this time of year I get excited because um, having been involved in, in Six Nations campaigns when I was a player, you you it's it's special. There's a lot of history to the tournament um, and. You know, players get excited as well, so it's something for people to to give, hopefully, give people a lift in and this sport in the next few weeks in the rugby and something to look forward to. Ian, let's start with Ireland. Where is Andy Farrell as he heads into year two? Yeah, I still think there's a massive question mark, to be honest. Even after you know a, a decent Six Nations campaign, um, I still think you know there are those question marks in in, in terms of what Mike is trying to bring to the, the attack side of things. Um, Great to see Paul O'Connell. I know Quinny and Raj will probably touch a little bit more on that, but I think that's a shrewd, uh, you know, appointment by by the Irish coaching staff because he 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 has that wealth of experience to bring, and, and the Irish lineout has massively struggled. You know, whether it's just a combination of things, Dev Toner maybe leaving, um, but you know, just looking at the squad, there's it's exciting to see players. You know, Reese Ruddock coming back, Gary Ringrose getting a bit bit of momentum behind him, and that can only be you know a good thing for Ireland going forward. Mm. Ronan, big picture, where are Ireland for you? Um, I think they're trying to find themselves as a team. I think there's an awful lot of players that have been shaped under Joe, be it at a club level and for national level, and he played a different way. And I think Andy Farr is probably more similar to probably the uh, New Zealand rugby in the fact that, and that's ironic, obviously, because Joe is, um, is a brilliant New Zealand coach, but I think... Uh, he's keeping the ball alive more in the tackle. I think he's gone a little bit away from the rock, but they might go back to that with Paul. So I think um, 
as fans of the game, as coaches of the game, it'll be interesting to see how they go about it because that's the beauty of all these conversations and preview shows is that there's a, an awful lot of ways of playing the game, but I think the most important thing is that you get buy-in. And I think that's what we saw under Joe. There was huge buy-in. Some people were saying it was very structured, over-structured perhaps, and it cost us at World Cups. But uh, you could, for those of us that were lucky enough to be in the Aviva in November 2018, they put on a show against the All Blacks, and that's a memory that will stay along with me. Um, but I suppose they're looking for that kind of um, game where this team announces itself under Farrell. And I think... Um, there's probably great opportunities in the next two games. Joe Wales away, France to, I would say, to either be very much under the cosh or um, announce themselves. And Ronan, you used the phrase there, they're maybe going to try and keep the ball a bit more alive in the tackle. That sounds like a good thing. That sounds like a more exciting thing than just going to ground and recycling the ball. Well, um, yeah, that ent or opens up the possibility perhaps explain it a little bit so for example if you watch Toulouse okay it's nearly they're not really allowed fall with the ball okay so they don't like rocks and they've never liked rocks and their DNA is keep the ball alive and uh, play play an offload game Ireland under Schmidt were the most effective rocking team in the world they were so accurate around it because the ball carrier had a role to do and he was very much responsible but his two clean out players uh, were probably always there before the opposition, but that isn't something that you can just decide. You need to be coached that, you need to be shown images of that, and you need to uh, understand what's involved in that. Because of the detail, and we talk about that word, and it's much overused, just like process is much overused, uh, because the detail under Joe was uh, applied impeccably, Ireland were so accurate in that, and they could move the point of attack. But sometimes you feel now they might be falling in between playing an offload game and playing a rock game, but you get penalised then and you lose field position as a, as a result. What was very evident for me under Schmidt was that we were so good around the rock, rock, rock that that accuracy was always there. But it, um, if you go away from that a little bit, it's hard at this level to be really, really good in, 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 in so many aspects. So, Alan, what I'm hearing there is almost struggling for a, a, an identity a little bit. What is our key point of emphasis? We knew what it was under Schmidt, fair enough. It, 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 um, it wobbled towards the end, but the players were under no doubt. And maybe into 2021 now, they need to start being under no doubt again under Andy Farrell. Yeah, I think they need to get the basics right. Um, our our line-out um, has, has let us down a little bit in the last 12 to 18 months. How quickly will Paul O'Connell fix that? Um, it's... I don't think it's a major issue that you're going to have to break up the whole lineup and start again. I think there's a lot of talented guys who are very athletic. We've yeah. good jumpers. Um, the hookers are well able to throw. We don't have an issue there. It's just timing and spacings and an understanding of the lineup. Mm. And he will bring an understanding and a real pace to their game. Because look, there's so many questions asked about the Ireland attack. The lineup is integral to that. You can you can win ball off the middle to the tail of the lineup, and you can launch your attacks. Mm. It's harder to defend that. So first and second phase, we're not getting that go forward, and it affects the whole game. So you're talking about identity. Um, when I, you need to get the basics right, set piece, and the breakdown is really important as well. Ronan mentioned it there about Joe Schmidt. You know, it was. It was just a real bugbear of his if there was a wrong entry or if there was a wrong body position in a, in a breakdown. Um, they're capable of getting to that again because when you're, when you're breakdown, and Neil will know this as a fly half, if your breakdown is efficient, he's getting the ball that second or two earlier. He can now run, pass, mm. kick, whatever he wants to do. 
So there's a number of improvements that are needed. Andy Farrell admitted himself at the end of November and hopefully we'll see him. It's a short little block, Joe, to get all these things right. So you have to work on the basics first and hope then that there'll be a bit of flair and a bit of ingenuity along the way. And I think, you know, Ireland want to play at that that speed, you know, in the in the couple of games they've struggled. France, England, where have they struggled? They've struggled with, with line speed. They've struggled in the defensive areas, just England, aggression, aggression, aggression. So, you know, Roger's point picking up on, you know, not accepting that contact or playing before the contact could be the DNA for Ireland going forward in those big games because proven against Italy, Wales, Scotland, you know, they can win those games, I won't say playing at you know, not playing at their full ability. Mm. But I think to get to that next next level, I think... And you know yourself, Ian, you've played against Ireland for a number of times. If you, The key has been slow them down. Mester said piece, slow them down and unsettle them at the breakdown. Johnny Sexton, Conor Murray then get in their faces and Hard Ireland... Going. It's, it's, yeah. it's a plan B, which hopefully we've seen a little bit of evolution and we will see a little bit more. Mm. Of course, there's going to be mistakes and players make bad decisions in games, but we need to see an improvement right across the board and hopefully that will happen. With Paul in there as well, he'll be a big influence for that forward pack. So, Ian, let's hope for a moment, uh, uh, through Paul O'Connell and, and everything else, some of the basics start to improve and maybe there's a bit more attention to detail at the breakdown and there's quicker ball and all that good stuff starts happening. Uh, you've worked under Mike Catt yeah. with Italy, so he's now the Ireland attack coach. Mm -hmm. are, on, in first year involved, are you seeing Mike Catt's fingerprints on what Ireland are doing in attack? Yeah, I suppose from, from me sort of dissecting the, the games, you know, you can definitely see little, little improvements. I mean, I think I, I picked out on a few different movements he was trying to, to, to bring it to, the, to the table against England, uh, sort of almost American football style, style plays against Wales in the, the Nations Cup. He, with Gibson Park, they did a lot of, you know, loop plays uh, with nine just coming around. So different things that, you know, Joe would have, would have done previously, but this is sort of in a general attacking shape now. And I think Mike definitely is more, you know, of course, most teams have a sort of three to four phase general pattern, but Mike is very much you know, within reason, of course, you know, play what is in, in front of you and trust your ability. I mean, you look at the guys that Ireland have, as I said, with Ringrose, Sexton, who is one of the best decision makers you're ever going to come across on, on a rugby field. Murray, who's coming back to some form. And I think with Munster is starting to run, a look, you know, potentially to run a little bit more uh, off the top of the line out in, mm. in, in the 22, even, you know, uh, a couple of different variations of play. So, there are small, uh, you know, improvements definitely, and you can see something is coming. I, I believe, but as Quinny said, if, if you if your basics aren't right, rugby mm. is a very difficult sport to, to to get right, and that is your scrum and your line out and mm. go forward ball. To pick up Anine's point, Ronan, then uh, one man's heads up rugby could be another's no plan at all and headless chicken stuff. I mean, we're asking a bunch of players who've played a very regimented game under Schmidt. I'm not saying they're not talented, but they're used to a regimented game. To, to flip a switch almost and do a 180 and now almost just play what's in front of you at test level, that, that, that's going to have some teething problems. Yeah, it's very interesting, obviously. I wasn't aware that Ian played under Mike. So um, what I'm hearing here as well is that the I wouldn't underestimate how much even test players take from their coach or their backs coach or their attack coach. What he says has to be applied. Once... I think that framework is in position, then the decision-making comes into it. But like at test level, um, even I'm finding with players, so if we make a break, coach, what do you want us to do? Once you make a break, there's no uh, system, there's no pattern, there's no... But players, top players ask that question. So that, 
you know what I mean? So you have to keep reiterating that, that the reason we have a, you know, a, a shape is to try and uh, give ourselves an advantage against a team that has a really good defence. And test teams have, have really good uh, defences. Look at England, for example. So there will most definitely be, I would say, a um, struggle um, in your team if you have people who have, um, I suppose, attacked pictures uh, so much in their career and then they're given the option well okay off the off the top line out here you can go to the 10 channel 13 channel or you can go wide but um you know i think there's a bit of a skill involved in that too and it's not necessarily the number 10 who needs to look at that your 13 has to be eyeing up what the open side winger is doing to identify you know what i mean is he going to get to 15 or is he going to hit in on me and as a result uh it's kind of hard to make that up on the spot, Joe, because, mm. um, I mean, if you have a team that watch the ball defensively, they'll have the advantage, I find. So um, that that most definitely, I think, is, is, is something that we'll have to keep an eye out for because it's very hard to go from playing, uh, you know, for example, the player that sticks in my head is the, you know, Johnny Sexton, Gordon Darcy, Brian O'Driscoll. So one to two and Drico on a hard line and it goes either play him or you go out the back to Johnny again. It's caught all the teams with that. But nowadays, wing, teams are using their winger differently. You can beat it, but it's a little bit harder to beat. But sometimes that play, and it wasn't necessarily Johnny Sexton, but that play would be used when there was a four against two. Yeah. When you have a four against two, you just hopefully the first attacker gets the first defender to turn his shoulders in and it becomes a three-on-one. So yeah. I, I think uh, there will be uh, there will be teething problems with it, but that's, again, we see the 80 minutes, but you're, you're, you're thinking these guys are training, uh, you know, in four 80-minute sessions a week with no game at the weekend up to now, but if there isn't, when Quinn, as Quinny's point uh, brought us to, they haven't had that much time, but hopefully the time on the video will have been very beneficial to them. We'll talk personnel over the coming week, uh, lots, but I'm curious, Ronan, the, the ba Ireland's back three in particular. So Jacob Stockdale is injured. We saw him play full-back in Paris last, last day out in the Six Nations. Hugo Keenan's made a big impression on people. There's a real sense he'll start at 15. So if Keenan starts 15, you've got James Lowe, you've got Keith Earls, you've got Jordan Larmer, you've got Andrew Conway. What's your back three from yeah. this vantage point? Um... I think your Hugo Keenan and Keith Earls are, are, are definites. I think Hugo Keenan, as you said, he, he couldn't have hit the ground um, more impressively than he has, and he's a, he seems like a workhorse. Um, the other position is uh, James Law is a super rugby, brilliant rugby attacking player. I think he's understanding now that defences in the Northern Hemisphere are probably a little bit more organised and they don't give as much time to their opposite winger and they don't play soft. So, uh, but he's, as we saw against Wales, he got given half a chance and he really took it. Um, Jordan Armour, I was in Chicago when Ireland played Italy, I think, and that was his breakthrough game. And he was exceptional that day. His footwork is better than so many players. I think he's a, he's a brilliant attacking threat, but his coaches are smart. They'll identify him, they'll go after him in the air. And three knock-ons or two knock-ons is too many, Joe. But that's a, that's a negative comment and I don't like saying that and I think he can address that because he's brave and he's he's agile and he, he, he's shown us that he can win ball in the air so that's something that can be fixed I, I think it's a big area of strength for us these guys with fast twitch fibres that are exceptional athletes 
they're probably endurance is the place you can get them. But if you don't push them to those hurt zones, you never you mm. never um, challenge them in that regard. So that was something maybe that we can discuss yeah, further again. on in the competition. No, we'll do that. So in three words, give me your three names. Okay. Uh, I gave you two already, so you weren't listening to me, Joe. Um, <laughs> Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan. Yeah. Keith Earls. Keith Earls. And Jordan Larmer. Okay. Alan, big picture again. What constitutes a good Six Nations for Andy Farrell and for his coaching ticket? They were finished third um, last year. And, it, you know, I, all the predictions have them third again with England and France jostling for first and second. Is, is, is third okay with some signs of progress? Um, yeah, third, it's, it wouldn't be acceptable. But I think as a player, it wouldn't be acceptable. And it probably is not to those guys either. But if they were to look back in the end and they... They played well and there's progress made in the attack and there's some um, some more learnings but we've had good six nations before and we've we maybe we've got a bit excited and uh, we you know we haven't the number of grand slams is only three isn't it so um, I think there's a grand slam there which if they play well enough and if they start well against Wales I would I would like to see them having a grand slam decider against England so right. that's okay. You know, that, that involves beating Wales away. Wales away, France at home, Italy away, and beating Scotland away. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't fear them. I mean, mm -hmm. you should, we should, you're talking about expectation. You don't want to get ahead of yourself. But deep down, I, w I would think that if they start well against Wales, um, they have momentum. I think they have the ability to beat France in Dublin um, and Italy. So after three, three rounds, I think you could have three wins. Okay. It all hinges on that first, first game. game. I'm not saying they're going to win a Grand Slam <laughs> and they could finish. Most probably it will be in that second, third slot because yeah. I think England are too strong. Okay. Well, but so even getting to a decider at the end would be fantastic. Right. Well, I started off saying third would be acceptable. Yeah. Now, Alan has upped the stakes, Ian. Yeah. We're talking Grand Slam potentially, but, I mean, the way he charts out the potential there, I, first I'm game goes well, it's a possible. Decider. decider. A decider. <laughs> okay. And look, I think England will still win a Grand Slam. Okay. But if Ireland were to win those block of games, I think they'll be disappointed if they don't. Okay. Yeah. What about that? Agree? Yeah, I think traditionally, when, you know, when Ireland play France and England at home, it's obviously favourable. Um, do you know, if I'm to say now, uh, on the back of previous performances, will Ireland get themselves into that position? Potentially, I don't think so. I think to, to try and beat France the way they're going, England, I think is a mammoth task. Um, but... Quinny, as you well know, yeah, you know, I'm not players... saying, I'm no, not no, saying of they will, but I think that's what they should be aiming for. And you said, is it what's an acceptable uh, return? Mm. I think winning, you know, losing in Cardiff and maybe beating Italy and fr France is a bit tall order as well, and beating uh, Scotland maybe two or three wins. Is that enough? If we play really well in the other games that we lose, fair enough, but... Wales are there for the taking. It's going to be very difficult. There's going to be no crowd in, in the Millennium Stadium. Yeah. I know that works for all the teams, but it's all down to that first game. If, mm -hmm. if Ireland get a bit of flow going, a win of any sort, mm. it's not about performance on Sunday. It's, mm. it's, it's about just getting a win to start well. A final word to you, Ronan. So Alan saying Grand Slam are nothing for Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe I've... Different way of looking at things. For me, it's all about performance. I thought in the autumn there weren't performances there. I think if they if they can nail a few performances, confidence will come so quickly back. But for at the minute, I don't see those juices flowing um, through the team. But um, the game in Cardiff is absolutely crucial because 
France would be missing their biggest piece of their jigsaw and that's a cow. They're a completely different team with him absent in midfield and I don't think they have anything like the adequate resources to replace him. Um, so it, it comes on to, to, to this Sunday and I think um, as opposed to that being that kind of, I suppose, result-focused or outcome-focused, I definitely think that can we get, uh, I suppose, tempo from our half-backs what centre combination will they play? And I think um, it'll be interesting to see, I suppose, what back row is going to run out, Joe. Mm, it sure will. OK, well, look, there's much to discuss over the coming weeks, as you can imagine. Appetite whetted. Our Six Nations coverage, by the way, starts half one. This Saturday, we have Italy versus France. That's the first game up. That is followed uh, straight away. England... Uh, host Scotland live from Twickenham and then on Sunday of course and the game does not need selling Ireland kick off their campaign they're in Cardiff last win in Cardiff was in 2013 join us uh, from 2 o'clock for all the build up to that one all three games live across Virgin Media 1 so that's Ireland uh, discussed and we'll continue that theme I suspect over the next uh, while but England are defending champions and there is every chance that they are also targeting a Grand Slam win which would of course be secured in Dublin we'll talk to former out half Stuart Barnes in just a moment. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And you're very welcome back. We are looking ahead to the 2021 Six Nations Championship, which is now very much upon us. We have touched on Ireland. England, of course, are defending champions. Their coach, Eddie Jones, turned 60 last week and he's at the peak of his powers. It's been great for me. Uh, it's been some great thinking time, some good work with the coaches. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough on Monday night to spend two hours with Ron Adams, uh, the most experienced assistant coach in NBA. And it was just two hours of wisdom. So I'm always looking to learn and improve. So it's been a great opportunity for me to learn and improve. Being the champions doesn't give you a head start, unfortunately. You know, we don't get... Uh, two points on the table for being champions last year. So it's it's all starting again. We know that the opposition are going to be even uh, more committed and more determined uh, to be better. You know, your team, Ireland, uh, Andy, now it's his second year in the job and I'm sure they'll be better prepared than they were last year. Wales, the same with Wayne Pivac. Uh France continue to be the darlings of European rugby and we love that. Um, and Scotland's... Uh, regenerated after World Cup and Italy's making some progress under under Franco Smith. So it's going to be a great tournament, tough tournament, and we're just going to have to be at our best. 
Now, we still have Alan Quinlan, Ian McKinley and Ronan O'Gara with us, but I'm delighted to say we're also joined by Stuart Barnes. Stuart, you're very welcome. Thank you, Joe. Where do you rank Eddie Jones as a coach in global terms? Is he the best coach in the world? No, no, I don't think so. I think if, in terms of Six Nations, Eddie Jones is arguably England's best. In terms of planning for global dominance, I think there's been a conservatism to his coaching that hinders England, and I think in the end it hinders him as well. When you watch England play, you see a team that is smartly selected, um, very well organised, almost too well organised. There's so much structure in an Eddie Jones team, and all the structure comes from Jones. And that's fine when England's power is overwhelming and they're on the front foot, but when someone stands up to them and they're struggling, they tend to go to pieces. And I think it's a very big Achilles heel for Eddie Jones. It cost them badly in the World Cup final. We've seen them now and again uh, suffer in the Six Nations. I think uh, he has what it takes to be a great coach, but right now I think he's got to open up to his players and trust them and expect a little more flexibility if he's to become a coach that could be. We'll have a look at the English squad here. Obviously, they go into this tournament as defending champions. They have a number of big name omissions. So, I mean, and some of those omissions pack uh, plenty of power as well. Sam Underhill's a big loss as well. We know about him in the back row. Maka Vunapola, Tuilagi obviously gone. Uh, Kyle Sinclair out of the first game. Joe Marler is, is stepping away for personal reasons. He doesn't want to go into this COVID bubble and be away from his family. So, to what extent are England diminished? Well, I think, first of all, you've got to remember the size of the England squad. Uh, it's very large uh, and England do have great depth. Um, but if I was Eddie Jones, I'd be slightly concerned, I think, um, to have Mako Vunapola and Sinclair missing is a lot of England's subtle attacking play around the fringes where they like to bring people um, cutting down the middle. These are two, two of England's best passes of the their props and they're going to hurt them. Lordsbury is very important because England have developed that Exeter catch and drive game five metres out. Lordsbury is very good at that, both in attack and defence. So he's critical there. And Manu Tuolangi, it's it's hard really to get uh, carried away with, with any absenteeism there because he's injured so often. But there's no doubt at all, in, in 2019, when England played their best rugby, his capacity to crash his way over the gain line uh, and, and make space for others by drawing two defenders to his one man is exactly what Eddie Jones looks for. Jones loves powerhouse runners. Tuolangi is, is England's best. Uh, and it leaves them still with this scenario where they're going forward, Farrell and Slade, who are at their best, all good players, but they lack the capacity to crash the line and that is very much the way England play. So it'll be intriguing to see whether Worcester's Ollie Lawrence um, gets start time early in this tournament, because I don't think the England midfield balance is quite right at the moment. So give us the word in France then, Ronan. Yeah, there is uh, massive excitement and... Um... Oh, what's the word? Anticipation for Rugby World Cup even 2023, Joe. It's 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 everywhere. Um, people are very very excited about this current crop of players, and no more sort eight, nine, and ten. I think they have a world class eight and Greg Aldred. I think the nine Dupont is is, is 
simply playing a, a different game at times to so many other players. So good for me. And I think uh, that's the benefit of giving, um, I suppose, game time to Entomac. They're, they're stocked at number 10 because if Entomac doesn't work out, they've Jalibert, who's is a brilliant attacking player. Defensive question marks, no doubt about it. But then in third place, probably you will have um, Carbonell down in Toulon, who's, I think, the a double World Cup uh, under-20 winner with France. So that that's a great place for them to start with. If you can remember for the last 20 years, 9 and 10 was their, probably their Achilles heel, with the exception of Parra, perhaps. But they've got a combination who play week in, week out at club level, who are getting better at club level, and who are already probably the shining lights in in uh, European rugby. But Dupont has taken his game to a world level where I if you watch any of the top 14 highlights, and I know defences wouldn't be as good as test level, obviously, but he, he scores one exceptional try every week. Mm. And so does actually Jalibert. Uh, and you also have to remember, it was probably a mixture of their second and third team that went to Twickenham and and probably were very unlucky not to get a result. So that will really stand to them, mm. I think, because they, they know they're going to get better from, from that day and they know that they have better players to come into it. But I think uh, it's very um, NFL-orientated in terms of, you know, attack coach, defence coach, kicking coach, uh, breakdown coach, line-out coach. Everything is kind of mapped out. Uh, you, you Session plan of eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes, high-intense uh meters in terms of you know meters per minute you've got to reach and um the gps is big in their game and before french players didn't have that but um what i know about about the latins is the fact that if they get excited and believe in something they'll get behind it and they're right behind this uh fabian galtier project so they're going to be extremely dangerous because they can play rugby sure what's your verdict on ireland um I'm not convinced by Ireland. I think they lack the power to take on England and France. And I I think Andy Farrell still has a point to prove. He's been a very good um, skills coach, number two. It's a a big difference going from two to one. And I think Eddie Jones and Eddie Jones' way made that point in the interview you saw. and, you know, Ireland were quite a long way behind France and England in the autumn. And I don't see anything that's really happened in the last few months between the autumn internationals and the Six Nations to suggest they can uh, make that leap. I, I know they're playing France and England at home, but I think we have to reiterate that during this pandemic, whilst knowledge of, you know, home changing room and your, your local hotel, it all counts for something when there's not 50 to 80,000 people against you, that's what really counts. And, and it will not feel like an away game for France and it won't feel quite the home game that it used to for Ireland in Dublin. OK, so Andy Farrell with a point to prove and then you mentioned power as well. There's not much we can do about the power situation, is there? No, no, there's not. And, and you know, you, you think of some of the European games when, when Leinster were fancy to beat... Saracens last year and afterwards they said they were too powerful. There was the European Cup final when Leinster just said we couldn't win the collisions. What England do bring to European rugby is is a, a, a great um, surge of adrenaline on the gain line, in the tackle, at the breakdown. And I think Ireland have benefited when England and France have been slightly 
below their peak there. And Ireland, with a superb organisation around that breakdown, have been able to control and dominate ball. And I do think that with the coaching of Leinster in particular, they rely on being able to keep the ball for fair amounts of time. And I think France and England will knock them out of their stride. And I think Johnny's not getting any younger at 10. Um, there's question marks about nine. I, I, I just don't see Ireland being able to manipulate field and control the ball as they did uh, in their peak. OK. Ian, disagree with any of that? Yes, slightly to some degree. I think Ireland have, have shown, you know, um, maybe in the couple of games that Ross Byrne has played, you know, playing a lot deeper, and that's just inviting Itoje, these sort of players to come up and, and, and smash Ireland on the gain line. Ireland have proven in the past when you play quick, quick ball against England, you, you know, you can manipulate them, you can get results. So I think, I don't think the gap is that big, and I think those players that are out is actually massive. So, as it's been alluded to, you know, Sinclair and, you know, Mako Vinopola, they are massive, massive losses for, for England, as it would be a, a Murray and a, and a Sexton for Ireland, I believe. So, I think England definitely, in terms of the uh, the last set of games, are, are, are not going to be as, as strong or as potent of, uh, as they have been. Mm. Alan, do you want to come in? What's in Stuart's uh, argument's favour yeah, no, there is, is recent history. I mean, everything he's saying has happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, no, it's it's true what he's saying, and, and I do agree with it. We That's why you ask the question about Ireland at the start. There's a lot of question marks there. Can they get better? Um, can they be more accurate? Can they get back to the Joe Schmidt-type breakdown? Mm. If they do, and that's what Stuart is alluding to, you know, if you hold on to the ball really well, your set piece is good, you're winning good ball off the middle, back of the line out, and you, you hold, we win that ruck, you will multiple rucks, then you have options and you can play rugby a little bit more. Ireland have lost a lot of those collisions and, and they've been sloppy in the set piece and, and, and that breakdown. So if they get that stuff right, and mm. look, so it is relevant and there's question marks there to be answered and we'll get them starting on Sunday against Wales. But I think the key here is, and, and Stuart has said as well about Ireland have done well when England have not been at the peak of their powers. Well, I think we were at the peak of our powers in two, 2018. I think it was Mako, uh, Billy Vunapolo was missing. There's vulnerability now because for me, Mako Vunapolo, Sinclair, Sam Underhill and Joe Launchbury, for me, that's for your starting pack. Mm, so okay. they have questions to answer as well. Can they bring the same power and physicality? Ronan and Stuart will say goodbye to you. Before you go, uh, in a word, give or take, who's going to win the Six Nations? And then uh, if your answer isn't Ireland, where will Ireland finish? Ronan, you can go first. Um, yeah, I just wanted to come in about the... Um, I think what fascinates me, and Stuart would be better comment on this, is I think England have been fed data that the teams in Test Rugby who kick the ball more win more often. So a perfect example for that was uh, the England performance against France in Twickenham, where actually it would have been great for a neutral, perhaps, that if France had won that, because I thought England kicked horribly, yet they were absolutely convinced that by kicking the ball more that you get it, uh, the result. But I think where they'd probably excelled over other teams over the last, prior to that, for the last two years, has been their attacking kicking game, be it Slade, Farrell, Ford, Daly, or even Johnny May was able to put attacking kicks in and they were able to mix it up. And it was something that I think they had a big advantage on our teams. But maybe that can be flipped back at them in the fact that, it, yes, if, if England are winning collisions, that means, OK, so you, 
the opposition isn't winning the ruck, which means they've 13 in the front line. But you don't see many teams looking for backfield space when you have one person covering 70 metres, essentially, if he's positioned centrally. So I'm going to be looking out for this in, in, in the Six Nations to see if they are going 13, one in the tackle, 13 in the front line, and 15 manning the whole backfield. If you have an, uh, maybe an intelligent chase or a little bit of a, of a sneaky chase that you want people going after the ball here, it might be a way of unloading them because if you're, it's not a smart plan to run into Itoja for your afternoon because he'll either strip the ball from you or else number any one of the back row and the replacements will chop tackle you and someone will post and it'll be a penalty against you. So um, England, I think for me, are, are um, the team to watch. I think France will win the Six Nations and um, Ireland... We'll come next. Okay. Stuart? I honestly think Scotland's a, a real danger for England. Ronan talked about a uh, kicking game, and, and Ford and Farrell have a sublime uh, short-range attacking kicking game, but Finn Russ was probably as good as the pair of them combined. And England were team rusty, and it's a threat to them. Uh, if they win that, they play Italy, and they'll be two for two, and they'll be the favourites. But I still think they will probably lose to France. And I would take France to win the title. And I, I think Ireland, are, there's a sort of an island. There's England and France, I think, at the top at the moment. And part of that, that is just the sheer physical power. And I think Ireland have a, a bit more organisation and, and class than the others. I think they'll, they'll find it hard against Scotland. But I'd take Ireland for third and then the other three in the sort of third tier of this tournament. OK, very good. Stuart Barnes, our thanks to you. Ronan Agaro will be talking to you over the next number of weeks. Thanks very much, gents. Cheers. Pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. Ronan Agaro, Stuart Barnes there, uh, Ian McKinley and Alan Quinlan staying with me. Ireland start their campaign in Cardiff on Sunday. Stephen Jones of The Sunday Times will give us the Welsh view next and will be joined by Peter O'Reilly as well. 
with a load of guys who have experience of beating beating Ireland. Uh, they look a little bit like Dad's Army with Alan Wynne Jones, Ken Owens coming back, Justin Tipperick, the back row, Valentine. These guys are in their thirties now, but they do have experience of success against Ireland. And you kind of feel that they understand that their season will crumble if they can't win this game. Both teams are desperate to finish top half of the table. So there's a hell of a lot riding on this. And uh, it's fascinating. Stephen, Wales won three out of ten games last year, uh, Italy twice and Georgia once. So we can't quite figure out if they're uh, descending further into crisis or waiting in the long grass. Well, one of the things is that um, where they've come out of crisis is in picking Dad's army. There was during the during the autumn, Joe, um, the new coach Wayne Pivac seemed to want to pick an under twenty team to play for Wales, and that was a complete disaster. And I, I'm really glad, at least it, Welsh fans would be really glad that um, Ken Owens, Alan Wynne Jones, um, Dan Lidiet, and these guys are back, and and also. Um, I think he's now given up the idea of, uh, of of picking like a sort of fresh face back division. If you're Wales and you you want a few quid on Wales, you pick Dan Bigger every time, not all these kids. So I think the more the team looks like Dad's army, from Captain Manring all the way through, uh, the better. <laughs> uh, and what's your view on Ireland then? We're 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 looking uh, longingly at, at France, England, and trying to close that gap. Is there, I didn't realise Ireland and Wales were still in it, listening to, to Barnsley and Ronan, actually. But it's, it's nice that there are six teams in it. I think it, it, it is a vital game. I think that um, no one knows really if Ireland is slightly, this team is slightly beyond, uh, um, over the top. But um, I think everyone realises that Johnny Sexton is really important. I think that Wales would love it if uh, Peter O'Mahony and CJ Stander are playing. I think they would hate to play against um, the likes of Doris and, and, and Byrne in, in the pack. Um, so I think Wales think they've got a chance. But um, I think there must be this fear for Welsh fans that if Ireland click with the likes of Ringrose back, Henshaw back, looking reasonably good, um, Murray back on form, I think, I think uh, Ireland will go into it as favourites, definitely. Mm. Alan? Yeah, I think they'll have the... Um... There'll be a desperation about both teams, as as um, as we've discussed earlier, and um, I just it's I just don't know where it's going to go this way. It's the unknown, really. I I believe Ireland have to get better in so many facets, and and they're capable of that. Um, physically, they can match Wales. So look, it's always difficult going to Cardiff, but I, I fancy I fancy them to to put in a performance and maybe. You just don't know with, with with Wales, like the quality they have, the the experience, the Lions players that Stephen is talking about. They're they're big game players, you know, and and they deliver for Wales, and he's gone back for them again, Pivac. So it's a real cup game, mm. and it's a real kind of hard one to decipher. But I feel Ireland can go there; they have the ability to go there mm. and win. Uh, tournament overview, uh, Stephen. How do you see this all unfolding over the next number of weeks? Um, look, first of all, let's just hope it's really good and really watchable because there's so many problems around, as you've already already discussed. Um, I'd love to think that um, Eddie has it, Eddie Jones is silenced. Um, it's only week one of the tournament already. I'm bored sick with him, but um, <laughs> I think I think the problem is I, th I still think that France are still 
have a problem with Twickenham. However good their team is, I think that that England are always got the edge on them at Twickenham. That's that's what I fear. Um, I think that um, England's two away games, it's up to Ireland and Wales to really give them a, a, a hammering or really give them a big game because Ireland and Wales are both at home and that will be the measure of England. It'll also be the measure of Ireland and Wales. I mean, I probably think France are just about the favourites, but um, I just think that they'll have to really grow up mentally uh, to win at Twickenham. OK. Peter, we have four Frances and one England. You don't quite have the deciding vote, but uh, where are you going? I can't see it going outside either of those two, I'm afraid, Joe. Um, I would probably go for England on the, the Twickenham factor. Um, also, I think France may struggle in Dublin. I'm not sure any of their team have ever won in Dublin. Uh, I know we're saying that location is less important in in this time, or at this time, I should say. Um, but I'd go for England just based on the fact they have a sympathetic draw. Their schedule works for them. They don't have to go anywhere in the first couple of weeks. And they have the depth in their squad. And I think, yeah, the neutral vote, of course, will go for France, but the sensible vote probably goes for England. OK, well, I think that gives us France 4 to England 2 in terms of uh, various predictions across the show. Ian McKinley... I don't want to be sitting down with you in eight weeks, bemoaning Italy again. Yeah. Uh, no wins in 2020. They were 0 for 8. Their last Six Nations win was 27 matches ago mm -hmm. in 15. Yeah. Uh, I know you'd dearly love to see it. Where is it going to happen? Yeah, I think I was part of six of those, so that doesn't, it's not pretty, not pretty reading. But, um, no, of course, listen, um, maybe touching a bit on what Roger was saying in performance. I think uh, the last game against Wales, you know, the 38-18 defeat, saw performance, even though the result is not... You know, 20-point difference um, is, is still not good enough, but it was definitely a better performance. The issues of uh, Matteo Manazzi deciding not to be involved with the squad due to tiredness, um, you know, that's a, an interesting discussion point. Um, Bram staying out, you know, big back row. Uh, Jake Poledri, who has, you know, phenomenal numbers in the Premiership in terms of carrying metres, he's unfortunately out for the foreseeable future. So they are big, big holes that are left in the Italian team. I think um, small steps... And performance is going to be the, the, the biggest thing because when you look at the fixture list, you've got um, France, England and Ireland, the first three game, games up, yeah. I mean, the, the, the three top teams. So that's not going to be easy. So, you know, I'm, I'm realistic, hoping the Wales game, you know, you can potentially get a, get a victory there. Um, but I think just performance and making sure that uh, the games aren't runaway victories for the opposition is going to be massive. Yeah. OK, well, a reminder again, it all kicks off uh, this weekend. Half one on Saturday, we're in Rome first to see how the Italians get on against France, immediately followed by England-Scotland live from Twickenham. And then, of course, Sunday, huge game. Ireland kicking off their campaign in Cardiff. Join us from two o'clock for all the build-up on Sunday. All those games live here on Virgin Media One. So that is pretty much us done for this evening. My thanks again to all our guests. It has been a long January, but brighter evenings ahead and the Six Nations to boot. We'll see you Saturday. <laughs>